Welcome, everybody, to The Outside Edge, a podcast about all things extreme. I'm your host, Dave Briscoe. Joined by my slow-fingered friend, Nick O'Donoghue. <laughs> What's going on, people? What's happening, Nick? <laughs> What's going on? How was your 4th of July? It was great. It oh, was yeah. great. Oh, yeah. You're talking to me now. Yeah. Well, I'm going to introduce you first, for Christ's sakes. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see him in a minute. We got a we got a pretty surprise. How was your Fourth of July? First of all, was it good? Yeah, it was good. Anything for the Fourth? Yeah, yeah it was good. Uh, just kind of, yeah. Actually, I went to the Crystal Beach and hung out at the beach and saw lots of beautiful bodies and young kids and you know the fun stuff. Right Had on. a few beers and then went and watched fireworks last night. It was great. Yeah, sweet. We had uh, we had fireworks on the chain here at Legoland, so it was great. I could park the boat like directly underneath them, and uh, we had a couple boat tours, so it was awesome. But yeah. Uh, Nice. Let's get into our guests. We ha we have an amazing guest today. Uh, probably, well, arguably the best competitor that ever stepped on a wakeboard. Uh, he has won X Games. He's won Worlds. He's won Pro Tours more than probably anybody in the world. So uh, I'm sure everybody's guessing and chomping at the bit right now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my good buddy, Darren Shapiro. There he is. What's going on, Darren? Oh, you know, I uh, had a fun weekend with the kids, as usual. Um, just enjoying life, man. Things are good. Right Got a badass coffee Sick. mug. Get his coffee mug ready to go. Hell Still yeah. ripped. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing these days, Darren? Uh, shoot, a whole lot of jujitsu, man. Jujitsu. Jiu uh, eat, sleep, and breathe jujitsu. We've got a gym up here in uh, Winter Park, and um, I've, I opened the gym about three years ago. Okay. And I coach and train all day long, man. Eat, sleep, and breathe it. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's obviously keeping you in shape looking at you now. Maybe I need to get into some jujitsu. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. It's, uh, it, it's all you can handle. It's, it's, it's tough stuff. It's not like any other martial art. It's more akin to, like, wrestling and right. a lot of grappling. Right. Uh, Bestie and I were hung, hanging out quite a bit in the last uh, couple of years, and he was deep into jujitsu. And uh, yeah, yeah, he was he, he was in Lauderdale, and he had a, a, a team over there that he worked with quite a bit. But yeah, he loves it. So, so let's go back in time a little bit. I, you know, tell some of the guests. I, I, you know, we talk a lot about water sports on this podcast, but you know, we really spawned out to extreme stuff. And I, I want to get into your jujitsu stuff and what you're doing now, but. Let's go back in time with when you started, and you were mainly a three-eventer first, weren't you? Well, yeah, wakeboarding or skiboarding didn't exist yet. Right. So, talking late 80s, you know, I grew up uh, water skiing and surfing and, you know, skateboarding vert ramps. And then, uh, shoot, it wasn't until 1991 that uh, Herb O'Brien built the prototype ski board. Right. That I jumped on it. Uh, then, so uh, yeah, leading up to that, yeah, I was doing slalom, trick, jump, barefoot. What was your best event? Was it trick and jump or? Yeah, trick and jump. Sure. Yeah, yeah slalom. Like, well, I mean, I didn't grow up so much with like traditional water skiing. I grew up riding the cable park as a ten-year-old. Right, and that so, was the Rickson, right? That was Ski Rickson. Yeah, yeah. That place opened in '84 down there in Pompano Beach, and uh, it was close to my house. So were you taking your trick ski on the cable? Yeah. Well, we did everything on the cable. But yeah. the trick was the most fun, you know, because, 
the cable was running slower speed all day long. Right. Just, you know, for like little brief moments, would it speed up so that you could jump or hit the solid course? Was there any? There was no hits or rails or anything on the on the Rickson back then, was there? There was just little tiny kneeboard kickers and then yeah. the ski. So that's what, I know that the um, cable in Orlando, I think it was at Wet and Wild, and they pulled kneeboarding out there. So is that mainly what people are riding on, either a kneeboard or skis or? No, no, no. Um, you got to remember, man, cable parks were existing for like 30 years over in Germany. Right. See, that's funny because, and I mean to cut you short here on this, but when I was in Germany in 83, we all had to do a visit as the ski school or the ski show that we had in Germany because it was the first year of any water ski show in Europe. We went to a cable place and uh, skied there in 83. Yeah. Yeah, so Bruno Rickson, yeah, he came over to the States and opened the first one up in 84 there in uh, Pompano. But early on, I mean, right when the place opened, some Germans would be coming over there like dead serious about you know, short line slalom skiing through the course or jumping, you know, legit, like, you know, um, taking big cuts at the jump. So it was like we saw uh, serious water skiing happening on the cable early on. Right. The newbies who would go strap on a kneeboard. But as serious as we were, the cable was an awesome place to play. I mean, we would barefoot, we would shoe ski, disc, you know, yeah. we would anything. I mean... My parents would just, it was a perfect place for them to just dump me off yeah. and play all day. Um, but it got a lot more fun when we started riding our trick ski and started doing like huge, like layout dock starts or. Uh, and Indian line, right? You're using the Indian line at that? Indian line too. So it started with the Indian line. That was like kind of the most amazing thing to see because you couldn't help it. You were going to go 20 feet high. Right. But then we started figuring out how to get it done just by whipping around the corners and start doing, you know, huge aerials like that. Right, right. So, and th now that started in 84 for you, right? And then the wakeboarding, so you got nine years of cables experience, eight years before the ski board at the time comes out. Yeah, exactly. That, that, yeah. So uh, that must have been a riot to, to go. And you rode sandals longer than anybody. Why did you do that? Because the... The first few generations of boots were so shitty. I mean, right. especially with a size eight foot, right? So I had the benefit of uh, those sandals covered a good portion of my foot. It wasn't right. just a over my ankle and foot. It was like my toes barely stuck out. Yeah. So there was that. And then we would double up on the heel loop. I would right. use like a bicycle inner tube, like two layers of that plus the heel loop that was already there. So I was I was stuck to the board. I was locked in really good. And what I experienced with the way my feet were, were much different than people twisting their feet off with those straps. Right, right, yeah. Because you ran, God, I, you must have gone three years longer than anybody else with the straps. Yeah, and then I think you had one binding. Didn't you go one binding for a little while? I didn't ride it. I mean, not only were they crazy poorly designed at that point yeah comfortable um they were they were heavy they were like yeah. cinder on your board we're just yeah. it's nothing like we have you know you know these days it was um really crude right right so let's let's go into that so from from starting on a ski board and first getting on a park how long before 
the first tur- was the first tournament was Isle Morata, wasn't it? Wasn't that the first Pro Tour tournament? No, that was the first Worlds. First Worlds. Yeah, that's right. First Pro Tour was uh, it was um, that park off of fifty. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right, in Orlando. That's right. That's right. What's that park? I can't even remember the name of that park now. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm not kidding. So it, you were part of the first tournament then. Oh yeah, yeah. I um after about a year, I think the first pro tour was in '92, and I started riding a solid year before the winter of '991. So uh, Herb O'Brien, I I was water skiing. Well, let me back up a little bit. I was skiing on the cable until I was about, you know, 13, 14. And then uh, Mike Ferraro and his guys went up to that cable park just to go, you know. Mike Ferraro, of course, a legendary uh, world-class coach. Hold on. Whose phone's ringing? Can you edit that out? Shut your ringer off. Sorry, keep going, Darren. So yeah, Mike Ferraro, like a world-class water ski coach and legend, uh, had his Llewellyn brothers and some of his really famous water skiers go down to the cable park. And I was just a rug rat, you know, a cable rat, probably at 13 years old. And I was begging Mike Ferraro and those guys, hey, I want to come water ski with you guys. You know, this is at the time where Ferraro's like on his trick ski on the cover of Water Ski Mag. Right, right. Facade, trick ski, like super badass looking. And I wanted to hang out with those guys. And he pretty much told me no. He was like, no, nah, you know, we just, we, we do our thing. And, and I was just an excited little kid. Uh, but a, about a year or two later, a good friend of mine, uh, brought me out there to ski with those guys and it stuck. Right. So I started, now were you skiing with Chet before that? Were you skiing with Chet before Mike? No, Chet wasn't in the picture yet. Chet flew from Texas till a couple of years later. Okay. okay. So I was out with Ferraro and those guys starting to water ski when Herb O'Brien sent down the first uh, Hyperlite prototype in 8990. Okay. So I jumped onto that board, um, and I, I, I just kind of left all my water ski gear in the dust. And I was like, this is what I'm riding. It felt like what I had supposed to be riding my whole life. Right. It fit like a glove. I was like, oh, you know, now I can, you know, do a little bit of, of uh, like my board riding, because I had skateboarded and surfed for just so long. Right. And, uh, it just was such a good fit. And it was only about five days after that I put the board on for the first time that Herb O'Brien um, called my dad and asked him if he could send me to Hawaii. To oh, go no to kidding. The- so the first world was over there in Hawaii. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, sort of a funny story. I won't take too long to explain this, but. Take your night- time. <laughs> the night before, Herb O'Brien called me. Um, I had been riding the board now for four or five days days right right and i had seen a little video of eric perez doing his rap 360 and this and that and i i walked into my dad's room that night and i said dad there's the world championships going on in hawaii and i'm 17 right uh hey can you send me over there will you buy me a ticket and send me over to hawaii and he looked at me just like 
what's a what's a ski board? Yeah. Like, what the hell are you talking about? We've been going to water ski contests for the last five years, and now you're not going to do that. You're going to do this. And I was like, yeah, well, I think I can win. And I've been riding it for a few days now. And uh, he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. So I'm like, oh shit, that's not going to happen, right? right? So the next morning, I wake up. My dad's walks into my room with the phone, and uh, he's like, uh, hey, Darren, I got Herb O'Brien on the phone. I guess he wants to send you to Hawaii. Oh wow. Yeah. But look, no on like he couldn't like he was like he couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So then the first uh, Worlds was ninety, but I went to the second Worlds in ninety one on the Wailua River in Kauai. And was skiboard just an exhibition at that tournament, or no? It was just solely solely a ski skiboard World Championships. Okay. Yeah. Who was there? Uh, so we had Lance Brood, Pat McElhaney, uh, of course Eric Perez, Craig Llewellyn. Oh, Craig Llewellyn. Mm-hmm. Well, really sorry to hear he passed just recently. That, yeah. That yes, right. Man. Yeah. Good dude. Um, I can't remember too many more names. Maybe yeah. Brian Sebring because he lived. Oh, that's there. right. Yeah, he would have been out there in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. So and then and then it starts blowing up. I mean, we were part, you know, that's pretty much when I came in, too. And we were part of inventing a new sport and the different tricks that were learned weekly, you know, everybody was learned something new weekly and it was crazy times. What do you remember about that? You know, it was like one of those things where, uh, I had a lot of skills from the wakeboard and cable riding side on my trick ski. Mm-hmm. And I, the way I understood like the huge load and release, you know, way that we, uh, tension on the line and digger board and deep to help us fly high in the air like that was such a, a newer concept but it wasn't that new for me right cable riding really like kind of shot me way ahead of everybody and then you had a lot of these um guys coming in with like surf backgrounds they had no idea what to do with the handle right so all my trick skiing and all my jumping and everything you know i i understood those things which really put me really far ahead um but one of the most fun times i can remember early on is coming up with an idea sure and then telling ferraro and him and i sitting there and thinking like you think you could do that yeah i think i could do that you know so then going out and like what give me a trick like what was one of the ones that you really remember all right so uh this is actually kind of a funny story so i had a friend um, his name was Leo and, uh, he was really creative. He was pretty good on a wakeboard. He wasn't where I was, but he was really creative and good. So we would get stoned <laughs> sit there and we would look at each other and we hold it. We like, we pass out a handle back and forth and we'd be like, man, what if you want like this? And then you want like this. And then we would start laughing our asses off. Right. But couldn't stop laughing. He's like, oh, could you imagine that? Like, it was like a laugh fest. So right. we smoking weed and like just being as creative as possible, but laughing about it because it was at that point, it was like, oh, imagine if. Yeah, right. A good example of that was like a toe side roll to revert because okay. the concept was always to continue turning in the direction that you took off in. Sure. 
So if your left foot forward, you come into the wake, you do a toe side back roll, you kind of turn to your right a little bit. And Leo, he was like, check it out. Yeah, you turn to your right when you take off for a toe side back roll, but then you turn back to your left to land switch. Right. <laughs> like, right. right. holy shit, could you imagine that? And, uh, and, and that's how like conversations went and ideas went. Um, and, and you then, did have more time, right? I mean, if you, if you think about traditional trick skiing, you do flips, but it happens so fast. And now you got a bigger board, more surface area. So you're actually getting more airtime and you got time to get shit done in the air. Well, the, absolutely. Absolutely. But the board's a lot bigger. Right? Sure, more drag. Happy, But it would put the fun part is all of a sudden you were in a, a creative headspace. Sure. Just in trick skiing. It was so set. Sure, body overs were like coming around and that was exciting, but like you could actually literally, it was art. It was yeah. art for meets who's got the biggest balls to try this idea. And uh, for sure, I had big balls as <laughs> that clips off the second story roof of my house into the grass. Like I didn't care. Wow. So now I had something to like feed that uh, creativity and kind of I could be aggressive right I can try things and I didn't care if I crashed um but what was so neat is we would come up with these concepts and sometimes I would just go out and do it on the first shot first try wow. and that was I still remember that as the most exciting times in here's something that didn't exist and now not only does it exist but like it's open-ended you could be as creative and you could put as much energy as you possibly wanted it into it. And all of a sudden you look around and all your buddies are, are kind of doing it too. And it's, it was like a feeding frenzy. Here's a new trick. Here's a new grab. Here's a new way to do it. Here's a new concept. Like, I can't imagine, you know, that doesn't happen very often in a sport. But it hurt your feelings a couple of times too. Cause I can remember like on the tour, you'd be like, man, I wish you'd learn their own freaking tricks. You know, because you do put a lot of thought in it. You put a lot of energy into it and a lot of love. And then it's kind of a bummer when somebody makes your trick. Like I remember when I started making Slurpees and then all of a sudden other people made them and I was like, oh man, it sucks. I wanted that to be mine. Absolutely, absolutely. Not only that, but when you invented a trick and then somebody else names it and calls it theirs. That's a fun yeah. one. <laughs> Which one was that? So I called it the Exmo. And it oh, the Exmo, I remember that. And, and Scott called it the Pete Rose. That's he lived right. in Orlando. So this that's one of the reasons I moved to Orlando at one point because I realized I was like not in touch with everybody in South Florida. So if you if you lived in South Florida and you made up a trick, it would take you until the next photo shoot or something you did with the magazine for anyone to recognize it. But if you lived in Orlando, like within a day your buddy shot it or videoed it and, and it was yours. So that's how fast the progression was happening. So I moved to Orlando. No kidding. Oh, that's funny. And that's why stuff. That is funny. Do you remember? So the Rayleigh, were you already doing something like that on the Indian line with trick skis? Or? No, it was a long line. It was long line and it was on a trick ski. So uh, this is in 19, late 91, I think. Um, Chet Rayleigh comes out to the cable park. And I'm riding around on my trick ski and I whip around the corner and I do my big layout. We called it a layout at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, man, you should do that. You should do that on your ski board behind the boat. And I was like, 
the pole is as high as my waist. Yeah. And the wake, there's no wake. You know, we're on a Pro Star 190. The wake is, you know, hit, hitting your ankle. Yeah. And the rope's tied down low. And then we were on like a 55-foot rope. Yeah, yeah, like a trick line. It's like a trick line. So he's like, yeah, you got to try that behind the boat on your trick ski. I mean, on your uh, ski board. And I said, oh, all right. Well, I guess we'll, you know, we'll go out and we'll try that. And uh, I did one. And I, and like the people in the boat, like, you know, they, you know, like field goal. Right. And I'm like, did that look cool? And they're like, yeah, that looked cool. So you made the first one behind the boat? You never stuffed one? Yeah. I made my first Lucky bastard. Yeah, so so that's why I named it the Rayleigh because right. Chet, you know, he watched me do it. Uh, Chet Rayleigh watched me do it on the cable, kind of convinced me to go over to the boat and try it on the boat, and so that's why we named it the Rayleigh because yeah. you know, inspired me to do it. How many tricks total did you invent? I think it was in the forty range. Forty tricks on the wakeboard. Man. Yeah, we were gonna do a hyperlight ad back in uh, right before I left hyperlight back in the day, and we were gonna list in the background all the tricks that i had invented and it was like nearly 40 yeah wow wow where's the applause nick where's where's my producer what that one he laughs <laughs> name those goddamn buttons i know i love it though it's funny good stuff <clears throat> 40 tricks that's awesome and what a run darren i mean what a run i can remember being on the dock with you and you know you, you were actually good at smack talk too you know i, I try to when i'm coaching kids it's not just about what you can do on the water. It's not about, it's the attitude that you got to have too. It's, it's, it's the pressure of dealing with 40 grand on the line and, and, and a little bit of smack talk is, you know, strong as well. And I can remember you watching a run. Um, I was standing next to you and you go, ah, that was pretty good. I'm going to go do that run switch. And you would go out and do the run switch and win the friggin' tournament. And <laughs> that was, I, I mean, what, what a run. Most win, winningest uh, rider ever to get on the board. Yeah, I was there to win. No, no, no doubt about it. I would save uh, the partying and and all the excitement part of it for when I got home. You know, I was I was there to work. I was there to win to go home with the check on Sunday night. Um, I did miss out on you know some of the you know fun times people were having on tour. Uh, but you know, for me, the party could wait. And, yeah, you didn't miss that much. I was in the beer tent a lot, and uh, you didn't miss that much. <laughs> I'm the one that set up the beer tent and tore it down. So there you have it. <laughs> yeah, man, I uh, I was definitely uh, focused on on winning, and I I trained to the point that when I got to the event, um, there were very few questions left in my mind about how I was going to perform. We were sitting in a hot tub once. I can't remember where we were. We were beat up. You know, it was mid-tour. I think maybe Indiana or something. You and I were sitting in there. And I asked you, how do you deal with the stress? And you told me, um, you said, you know what I do? He says, when I take off the dock, I look down at the board and the water. Because no matter where you are, that never changes. Do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's like a, a technique uh, some psycho uh, sports psychologists teach to their um, yeah, – Patience, I guess. It's called anchoring. And if you can anchor a feeling or an emotion, a familiar feeling or an emotion uh, that you get when you train and get that same feeling and uh, emotion when you compete, 
then you perform about the same. So I would sometimes even to the point visualize when I jump off the dock, the back of that boat I'm seeing is my boat at home, you know, right. wouldn't, I wouldn't hear the announcer barely or notice the people on the shoreline. It was, it was my hands on the handle, my board, my feet, the wake, and nothing really changed for me. And uh, there was, you know, some weird phenomena that would go. Sometimes I feel like I would ride better in contests than I ever could at home. That's so awesome. That something that uh, was really kind of weird to me. But over time, it really just gives you confidence that everything's going to be good. You're going to do great. Um, but uh, at the same time, leading up to events, I would experience a lot of anxiety. Um, and I, over time, I realized that anxiety was my way of me working out what could go wrong and how to how to be one step ahead of that. Sure. So, uh, I would always imagine up oh, this could be a sticking point in my run. I would lose sleep at night. But once I got to the event, that was all gone. So right. the process that I had plus the anchoring. So it was something I would consistently do that, uh, you know, was just part of my process. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. And I, I remember the, uh, you, you took it serious every time and, and uh, you were always a threat. You know, if, if we had to ride in the same heat as, as, as Darren, then it was always a problem. And uh, yeah, kudos to that. Let's move on to um, what you're doing now. Um, so you have you taken this? Actually, before you get into that, I want to talk about the speedball. You were the first ever to do a double front um, or a double anything on the water. And what, what kind of a beating did you take learning that? I mean, a double front, and it was it was a double up, I believe, is how you started it. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to look at, you know, what it took to uh, do that trick. As far as legit attempts, probably I think it was eight. I think I made my eighth one. Wow. And, but, you know, to really, like, kind of reel that in, I remember being eight years old and doing double fronts on a trampoline. So, you know, it's like, there are some things that, you know, I could talk about making my first one or make not a lot of tries, but like leading up to that, there's so many little tools that you gather along the way that make that easy for you. Right. Sudden, it was something that I had never barely thought about. And all of a sudden somebody brought up the idea that, you know, that's a massive stretch from A to A to B, but like my whole life, I've been doing a double front jumping off a dock into the water or on a trampoline. So when I finally put the board on, um, I realized it took zero. I'd have to try not to do like a front flip if I hit the double up in a certain body position. Right. So for, for no effort to take to do a single, I was like, well, I think, you know, I, I could exaggerate everything and, and ramp it up and be able to do a double. And it was just a super easy uh easy way to get that rotation it wasn't right. wasn't a stretch at all it was just kind of understanding the controls like this is enough this is too much this is the angle i need this is the number this is the first double up this is what happens if i hit the second double up this is what happens so i kind of you know it wasn't that scary you know yeah. like, when you don't know where you are on something yeah but when you have a decent awareness of like where a trick is going and how you fall, and this is how I fall here, just make sure I don't put my knee through my face. Right, right. 
then it's not that scary. So um, there are things that you do that seem really phenomenal that are really just an extra step on things you were already doing or a group of tools that you already kind of had. Right, right. I, I imagine the hardest thing on the double uh, speedball, double front, which is if the audience that doesn't know, it's a heel side front flip, which is really more of a cartwheel than it is a front flip. You're really kind of throwing your ear down instead of straight forward. Um, but Darren was doing a, a double front, which the board's got to go end over end. So it's almost a side roll. And I remember you're grabbing your leg, but the hardest thing must have been seeing where the hell you were at the end of it. So uh, you'll probably understand this. Hopefully, the, you know, some of the viewers can. But yeah, we're standing sideways on a whiteboard. So the where you can see what's going on is people think of a front as your shoulder going head, ear going down to your shoulder. But if you turn your head in the direction you're going completely, so you're looking straight over your shoulder, then you can push your chin down. Right. Your head is doing a true front, right? You're not right. bringing bring your head, you're, you're turning your head and you're going chin down. Now, when you do that, you could peek over the left side of your board. Got it. So you could see everything. As, Got it. But you could see it early if you're looking further over to the side. Yeah, where if you go ahead to the side, it's really hard when there's no point of reference where the whole world is just spinning. Right. Spot over your shoulder, spot over your shoulder again. You get to see like the last 30%. So there's always little tricks and stuff. To, and not just that, but once you've done something a whole number of times, you you can see a lot more. Right. You know, and the like, orbital, that must have been that must have been a good uh, weed session, smoking a bowl on that one. I don't think no, no. I, I, when it came to scary stuff, I you know I, I would never do something like that. Well, the thought process. I mean, <laughs> to come up with the concept. <laughs> yeah, no, I never, I never got on the water high or anything like that. Um, ever, you know. But sitting in the garage, like, like you know, shooting the shooting the shit, trying to think of how something's possible. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, took. I took the writing part really seriously. You know, I've always, I've always uh, tried to behave like a real athlete when it comes. Yeah, you separate it. You separate it, and so no, place in the time, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about. So let's talk. I know. In um, you, now, your what have you taken from your wakeboarding career into your jujitsu and what you're doing now? Everything, everything. That same mindset leading into a tournament. It's the same thing. I realize I'm doing the exact same things, but they're all built in now. So I'm not trying to figure it out. Like I already know I'm going to have anxiety leading into the event because I'm trying to work out everything that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. so it's the same mindset. And um, I see, I, re I remember again, how people get so scared competing. They lose right. their, right? they're like, what if, you know, all these, all these things can go wrong. Like, uh, and it's definitely, I could tell my experience in a lot of ways has me light years ahead of the other guys I'm competing against because they, they haven't done this their whole life. So, and is this your full-time gig now? Like this is how you're making a living? Full-time, yeah. We've got, uh, we've got a ton of students at the gym, huge kids program. I coach like 30, 35 kids on the mat every day. I coach the kids program and then I, I coach the adults as well. 
and then I get my training in. I'm usually on the mat like maybe five hours a day. Um, I do a whole a whole ton of very physical uh, things to help me stay young and fit uh, in the morning. Like my day's packed. My day's really packed. Um, I absolutely love it. Like, yeah, this is such a good fit uh, for me because um, as hard as it is, being really super physical and doing a technical sport, um, like this is extremely technical stuff. Like really, there's so much to learn, and there's uh, there's no uh, you know there's unlimited things that you can do or creativity you can do in a sport like jujitsu, and it's about outsmarting people. It's about manipulating the the you know the way that you perform and you make other people perform and the uh, physical aspect it's an absolute 10 it's everything you could do to handle to stay healthy in the sport what a great fit for you mentally it's so it's so hard for so many athletes to finish and you know what do they do next you know you look at the sad news of andy mapple passing and uh, you know some people just can't handle it what, what a great fit for you to slide your your brain activity from wakeboarding into something like this that you can continue forever yeah, man. I, uh, I think all the time, like, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? That would make me as happy as this makes me. Um, I'm really lucky too. my kids do jujitsu. They compete and not just that, but yeah, like I still get to compete. Right. You know? Kind of awesome. I'm 47 and, uh, you know, I could do this however long I can hold it together. But yeah, the cool part is I'm in the master's division. I compete against the masters. I train with the kids. Right. But I masters nice but you know as 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 long as i keep getting older i think something that people need to be reminded of if they have a growth mindset or if they want to continue to um you know be inspired and that's always having something to look forward to you know whatever it is something what's the next thing how can i make a little improvement how can i bring myself along a little further have I been doing the same shit for 10 years? Well, it's not that you got to change it up and start jujitsu, but whatever you are doing, don't stop expanding on it. Find the next thing that gets you out of bed that I don't care what it is, you know, whether it's fitness or whether it's your business or something like I, what keeps me excited is not settling for where I currently am. It's not that I'm not happy, but what keeps me you know, excited is to try to keep moving forward, try to find some way that I can improve myself. Um, Cause I'm convinced the more you spend time on yourself to improve yourself, the more you can help others and the more you can, the more giving you could be to helping others, maybe help themselves. There it is. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, Darren Shapiro from the words of Darren, the, you hated the scud. I know you hated it. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. I thought it was a cool name back in the day. But uh, yeah, that's that is amazing. How do people get a hold of you? How, if somebody wants to go to your gym, what do they got to do? Uh, our website is Winter Park BJJ. Um, but if you just look up uh, the company we've named now, it's called Armada because we're like an army. So Armada Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in Winter Park. Uh, we have a website. Uh, if you know if people uh, are in the area. It's a fantastic program. If anybody wants to be more fit, if anybody uh, has kids, um, has kids who they're concerned about being bullied or have concerns that their kid is a bully, you know, we'll temper them down. We'll show them uh, a lot of ways that they can improve themselves or, or 
improve their behavior. There's discipline. There's fitness. We pull kids away from those damn screens. We make them sweat. You know, they're treated with respect. They learn how to treat others with respect. Uh, it's great for kids, but um, it's great if you have kids and you want to share something physical with your kids. It's an awesome way to roll around on the ground with them. Like it's a great family sport. And as far as kids development goes, uh, it's the best sport I've ever seen because they're forced to interact with each other. They put their hands on each other. And there's something really great we learn about ourselves when we have the ability to uh, throw somebody on the ground. Mm. You know, we do it in a really nice way. We learn to care for people because we want to treat people the same way we want to be treated. So we don't go around hurting our partners because we got to train with them and give them a hug at the end of the match and see them the next day. Right. So really a lot of fantastic things it does for people socially um, at a gym like ours. That's so awesome. Big yeah, thing that's awesome. Well, I think we're going to wrap the show there. It's awesome. Awesome to talk to you, Darren. Awesome to catch up. I'd love to get you back on the show sometime. We'll get deeper down the rabbit hole into some other stuff. I know you got a lot going on and uh, thank you so much for your time. What do you got closing? Oh, just, uh, you know, Hey man, life is short. There's no promise of tomorrow. So get off your ass and go out there, go do something. Attaboy. Awesome. I love it. Awesome. I love it. Nick, what do you got closing, brother? Hey, man, Darren, it was a pleasure to meet you. Uh, positive things. I love it. I love the mental stuff as much as the physical. I need to get back into the game, you know, and start being young again. But it was a pleasure to meet you, and I hope we get to do a show again. Yeah, man, good, good times, you guys. I'm. Uh, let me know. Let's do it again. Right on. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dave Briscoe on behalf of Nick O'Donohoe. Thank you, Darren, for coming on, and we will catch you next time on The Outside Edge. See you all.